You're listening to Design Talk, a podcast for conversations connecting design with theory, organizations, business, and impact. So um, I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Joe Peppard, educator, consultant, and researcher at UCD. First, Joe, could you share a few words about yourself and your background and interests? Yeah, I mean, I've just joined um, UCD Smurfit, um, taking over as um, the academic director for executive education. So I came on board last November. Uh, Prior to that, I was at um, Sloan School of Management at MIT. Uh, Prior to that, I spent nearly five years in Berlin at uh, ESMT in Berlin. And then before that, I was over 20 years at uh, Cranfield School of Management in the UK, where I did my PhD as well. So I, 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 I suppose I started my research career, well, at least my from my doctoral studies there, although you want to know a little bit about my, my background and, and my interest in, in this whole area. Um, I suppose it actually began at, during my undergraduate. So when I was doing my undergraduate in the, in the early 80s, um, it was during that period that the Apple Macintosh appeared and the IBM PC appeared. And uh, one of the subjects that I studied, um, and I, st- I did a Bachelor in Business Studies, uh, or as it was known as back then as a kind of ESS, uh, Economic and Social Studies at Trinity College in Dublin. Um, we did a, a third year subject on um, management information systems. So that was really my kind of first exposure to kind of technology. But, but as you can imagine back then, the access that we actually had in the classroom to technology was pretty limited. We didn't have, you know, smartphones. We didn't have, you know, laptops or any devices. Um, there was a kind of a kind of a mini computer system that we kind of did have access to, um, a deck uh, system. But, you know, you, you kind of had to queue up to have access to that. And it was only certain days a week when you could have access. And, you know, as part of the program, I think we had to write a, a small program in basic. So essentially a lot of the the uh, material that we would have covered was was sort of conceptual in the sense that we, we kind of talked about data, we talked about information, we talked about systems, systems thinking, systems theory. So a lot, a lot of the foundation uh, and the foundational concepts and foundational ideas behind technology, in, um, behind information systems were, I suppose, the, the, the core elements of, of that particular course that I that, that I took in in um, in third year, and then in my final year, I actually did a uh, project um, in 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 technology, um, and then subsequently, then as a result of that, I, I stayed on at Trinity for a couple of years to do a master's, uh, an MSc in uh, in management, specialising in in information systems, um, and, and yeah, and and then I I was kind of offered a kind of part-time kind of teaching position. So I was sort of, and again, this going is going back to the um, late 80s, to sort of teaching computers. And, and at that stage was teaching PCs to MBA students. So it was clear from the outset to you, I'm sure, that this technology was going to transform business and the world at large, surely. Oh, absolutely. We were beginning to see it back back then, you know. And again, if you you know think about you know the the, the mid eighties, the PC appeared. Um, you know, in the same way, there's a lot of talk about the impact of AI on jobs today. Back then, we were looking at the impact of auto office automation, as it was referred to. You know, what was office automation going to mean for the white collar worker? Um, you know that you know their jobs were would be effectively replaced by 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 technology and and but the technology was very crude you know when the first pcs appeared you know they weren't networked so they were literally personal computers you had your own personal computer and if i had a personal computer alan had a personal computer you know we couldn't share information we couldn't send emails um but we could perform basic word processing um we had um, software for um, spreadsheets, um, so it wasn't it wasn't Excel. It was Multiplan, I think, was one of the one of the early um, software products uh, that were available. So, so there, there was software available, um, but primarily it was focused on personal productivity 
and focused on office automation. And then we had the late, um, late 80s then when networking began to appear where we now had the ability to connect up uh, PCs uh, together. And that was, that was quite, again, quite transformational uh, as well. And, and, you know, in parallel then, there was a lot of development work in the, in the bigger machines, the big team, in terms of mainframes and, um, and mini computer systems. So the shift from mainframes to PCs, even though the PCs are more readily available, there's still a sort of scarcity of knowledge. And so it seems in a way natural that organizations concentrated that knowledge. This is touching on the notion of the IT department, that, that 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 IT ICT coming through those that era naturally needed to concentrate that that sort of knowledge in domains of um, well, expertise. Well, yeah, well, you need you need you needed somebody with uh, technology knowledge, technology capability, you know, to install the systems. You know, for example, to to install the software, to run the systems, to provide the training uh, and and the support. So while, while companies. You know, if they, if they did have uh, mini computer or computer systems, uh, and then also looked to PCs, they would have may already have had an IT department. But if you were a small organization, uh, for for example, where you had no technology, and suddenly these PCs appeared um, at 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 a, at a price point where you know they were um, accessible. You know, so it would be you know this again. We saw the uh, price performance ratio begin to decline. So now, um, you know, computing capability was became affordable for lots, lots and lots of companies. Um, but it also meant that they then needed to think about having some expertise in the in the company in order to be able to manage the proliferation of of PCs. Um, so the, the, there's and that, that relates to this this knowledge gap and a strategy for managing that knowledge gap and spreading knowledge through the company of of the operation of the PCs of the networks. Oh yeah, it was a clear it was a clear demarcation between what we you know euphemistically and and still refer to as IT and the business. So we had the business who, you know, whatever whatever the nature of the organization was, whether it was banking, insurance, whether it was in public sector, education, you know, you had, you know, on the one hand, you had those in the business that, you know, essentially ran the bank, ran the insurance company, ran, ran the manufacturing facility. And then you had others um, in the IT department who would look after all of the technology. Um, and there was this... As you use the phrase, knowledge gap uh, between both, and so uh, that's it, it's amazing how history seems to repeat, if not rhyme, because at that point in time there was a lot of fear in the workplace around jobs being lost, new roles. There was a, yeah, there, there was a lot. Well, yeah, and actually, even, even before then, in the in, in the seventies, when we saw um, the beginnings of robotics and automation in the factories. Uh, you know, again, there was a lot of talk about the loss of blue-collar jobs. Uh, you, know, we, you know, again, because companies were looking to automate production facilities, production lines, uh, automate their factories. Um, you know, we were seeing the impact that it was having on you know the, what we call the blue-collar worker. Uh, the 80s, then with the PC, it was the impact of technology on you know primarily to office automation on you know the work of a lot of kind of clerical activity. Uh, within within organisations, yeah, 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 and then obviously today we've got the you know AI, and we have a kind of a similar conversation taking place. Do you think we we can take similar learning that we can anticipate that the widespread use of AI now in the current era is going to reflect what happened in the nineties um, and and the early two thousands, where where new roles came on board, people developed new capabilities, and new sections of the economy opened up. Yeah, I think I think I think that's 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 what we've seen um, throughout history. I think you know if one thing we've learned is that we tend to overestimate the short-term implications and, and underestimate the long the longer-term ones. So we get all the hype today about you know particularly driven by uh, ChatGPT and 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 you know the potential that that offers. Um, but we had exactly the same sort of conversation in the in the in the mid '80s in respect of office automation when PCs first appeared. I suppose natural reluctance to embrace change 
and yeah, creates resistance. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, and it, it's kind of it's 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 kind of re it's kind of many ways reimagining sort of work. Like I mean, there was you know again if you go back to that period and even even in the nineties, um, when as 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 a manager you probably would have had a secretary and your you know your secretary would have typed memos. So if you wanted to send you know a memo, which you know was today we would call an email. So if you have staff, you want to circulate, a, you know, a note to, you know, your secretary would type that up and then take it to the photocopier. Um, and then every staff member would probably have their own sort of mailbox or pigeon, a physical mailbox, or we used to call it a pigeonhole. And that memo would be put there. And of course, then when the PC sort of started appearing, um, you know, the, that, that manager, him or herself, started to write their own memos. Uh, because it was, you think about it, it was quite inefficient uh, in in terms of how it operated. Because if I was a manager and I wanted to write a memo, what would I do? I, you know, I'd sit down at my desk and I'd spend time writing the memo using pen and paper. I would then give it to somebody else who would type it up and then photocopy it. It was very, very, very inefficient. So we saw, you know, obviously in that respect, improvements in 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 sort of you know kind of personal productivity or overall productivity. So that's an interesting little. Uh uh, vignette, the notion that the old way of producing a text often included an unacknowledged co-author, the secretary or the transcriber or the, and, and I'm sure in many cases, those people involved in the production of the text improved the text. Well, I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they did. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, in some cases it was dictated, but, but in, but in, ter in terms of if you are dictating, um, something you, you 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 obviously you try to have some sort of a a flow, but when you get to the end, uh, you, you, you know I might finish off you know you're sincerely, and then you you know Joe Barrett, and you say oh, oh by the way, when, when you just emphasize something you know I forgot to say so again, you know if 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 you're typing you know something out or writing something longhand, it's a little bit might be more difficult to do that like. If, if I, I mean, I, I much prefer to give students feedback uh, via audio, and and the reason is that with, with audio, I, I I don't have to. I, I try to keep it structured, but I can start off with oh, you know, thanks for the essay. Um, oh, by the way, you know, just what, before I forget, I can say, I can say, by the way, before I forget, you know, the the the, the, the style didn't conform to you know expected guidelines. You have know, the font size, and then I can, and then I can I can give my, my 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 comments, but I but I can say, oh, I, sorry, I, I forgot to mention. But of course, when when you're writing text, you know, you, you you wouldn't approach it like that. You wouldn't sort of say, you know, go and say, oh, by the way, I forgot, because you because what you do is you you go back and you'd insert it in the right place. So it it it, it takes a hell of a lot longer to write, let's say, a commentary in text than it does to, to verbalize it. And it certainly um, is difficult to convey the tone that you get by the little speech interruption yeah. of, oh, I forgot. Yes, or... yeah, that's, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you could also say, oh, I, I like this, the, the, what you did in this diagram um, or how you, uh, you know, explain something which you may or may not put into a, a text. You've reminded me of an early uh, sort of a fictional video that Apple produced, a, sh a short piece called The Knowledge Navigator. And it had a kind of very much a Jarvis Butler style figure and a, a putative tablet PC on the table. And the user, the an academic as it happened, interacted vocally with the device and had this conversational style. And there was all that it was essentially what you, you've described there, what we're kind of doing today or able to do with uh, audio annotation, um, rapid audio transcription, um, text-to-speech. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I use, I don't know if anybody's come across, Otter AI. I mean, I use Otter AI for transcription. So when I'm doing research, for example, um, if I'm uh, recording an interview, uh, Otter AI will automatically transcribe it for me. Um, it will now summarize It'll now summarize the, the, the conversation. Um, they've recently introduced features now that also summarizes meetings. So if I have a Zoom meetings now, Otter will produce a verbatim transcription of the, of the meeting, but also will summarize the key points as well for me. 
Um, so that means that you know, for, if I ha don't attend a meeting where Otter AI is used, I can read through the transcription, and if it's an hour's meeting, it's a lot of a lot of words to get through. But I can also read the summary, so it's that's automated. That's uh, and you can see the potential for that even to evolve, where the application provides um, tone and reference annotations or. Um, well, well, well you, well, you can see, I mean, in, and again, go, going back to, there was a time when at, at meetings you would have had secretaries, and a lot of times you still do today, who take, who take minutes. What, what, what is a minute? A minute is sort of a summary of the, of the meeting. Well, today you don't need a person. The technology, you know, and, and, it's, and it's not just recording a summary. The technology will record everything, um, but, but then also provide a summary as well. So that's that's a you know that's quite a significant you know again uh, augmentation uh, of the technology. So I think this is where I think AI, um, as technology in general, has has helped us as really to augment um, kind of the, the kind of the human capability. Um, yes, I'm reminded of a, a person we interviewed last year, Patrick Stacy, who runs a startup called Anquilitus, and NASA have invested or uh, supported them. Um, in their development of their product, which is to provide emotion and psychological um, assessment of textual um, communications. So they're thinking in terms of um, in space flight and uh, long, long journey separations to keep a, a, a sort of monitor um, the emotional tone of messages coming back and forth between the parties so that they're sensitive to whether it's going to be an angry ma email or a or a gentle email, a, a querying, etc. So that that's all fantastic. So this this is all pervasive IT um, and digital. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, again, we're, we're only really, I suppose, at the, the, the late eighties, early nineties, and then of course, then the internet. You know, the internet only appeared in the in the, in the early nineties. So before that, what we what we know is the, as, as the internet was it was around. It was for very specialized functions, military and and you know some research. Um, but suddenly, it opened up for commercial activity. So that was a, that was a kind of a real, I suppose, game changer um, in you know around ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Um, you you couldn't pick up a, a newspaper, you know, a, a mainstream newspaper, and there would not be a you know a front page story on on the internet at the time. Um, so companies then were scrambling to you know build websites. There was a lot of talk about whether that was the right strategy. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the conversation was was around you know what what. Would be the effect on your 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 your, your own core business? Uh, would it cannibalize it? Um, so you know, and, and again, we, we saw this. You know, uh, you know, retail um, retailers that had invested heavily in retail locations were saying, well, you know, if we allow customers to buy online, you know, we've invested heavily in real estate. Um, you know, we've leased stores. What's the impact going to be on revenue? And the overall effect it's going to have on our business, and a lot of them made conscious decisions at the time not to go online. A little bit pop will eat itself. Technology eats itself too, and the, so the late adopters often well they can actually learn from the early adopters. But the there is a kind of object lesson in technology industries themselves, insofar as that they tend to dominate for short periods of time, and then a new Operator comes into play. A new industry, a new company achieves dominance. Well, sometimes, yeah, that's 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 we see that some sometimes that happens. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, look, look at some of the big tech companies been around for, you know, since since they were founded and is, are still you know top of their game. Yeah, no, there would be a, a small set of of the long lived companies, uh, the digital, the IBMs of the world, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. I suppose, again, look, looking at a company like IBM, you know, that came back from the brink um, back in the in the in the nineties, you know, the early nineties. Um, we saw companies that were, you know, Fortune top ten companies in in the nineties, tech companies like Digital Equipment, Deck. Uh, was big, big employer here in Ireland. Um, you know, Deck was you know taken over by um, Compaq, which was a you know a, a company that was focused on PCs, and then Compaq then was bought out by HP. So where is HP today? You know, so yeah, so so even these big companies, you know, the size, 
is no guarantee of success. So let's go back to that transformative period you were, you so the, were touching. So the, yeah, so the nineties, yeah. obviously, that was you know massively transformative in terms of, in terms of the opportunities because really for the first time, um, customers, business partners from outside of the organization could connect into your systems. So they they could now in, instead of you know either visiting a store or a branch or you know calling a call center, they could now directly essentially, you know, engage, interact with, 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 with the company, place an order online, for example, from their home. Yeah, and that, so that, that, was, that was a real sort of, you know, game changer. Um, so, and, and obviously that was the beginnings of e-commerce. And then we have all the infrastructure then that, that came up around that in terms of payments. Well, obviously there was, a, you know, a need for electronic payments. So, you know, PayPal, and today we've got Stripe and, 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 other, and other players uh, in, involved. And the whole ecosystem uh, developed uh, subsequently. So, yes, that was a massive game, a massive, massive game change, I think, the, the, the internet and, and what resulted from that. And then I think then probably if, if I think then the next big game changer came in 2007, and that was the smartphone. Yeah, that was a real sort of again a, a mass a massive game changer. Um, you know, we did have mobile phones. You know, really came out probably in the in the digital mobile phones in in the nineties. Um, but in most most cases it was for voice and data. You know, so you had your text messaging. Uh, we did have you know again pioneering companies have, have always looked to leverage some sort of an advantage. So you had some technology companies with. At the time, we called it, you know, wireless application protocol, WAP. So the telcos did provide some sort of internet capability, but it was in what we referred to back then as a walled garden. So, you know, if your Vodafone would allow you to surf the web, but it was the Vodafone web. And, of course, companies then had to be pay paid to be part of the Vodafone web. So, again, that was, that was, you know, again, in the beginnings of, you know, of, of how we use, let's say, mobile devices today, but the the, the you know the the iPhone was a real game changer, um, and then it all that that probably signaled as well the beginnings of the platform company, because when you look at the, the, the tech companies that you know have been around uh, top of their game since and um, they were startups, you know, primarily now they're all platform companies, even Microsoft. Uh, which was, uh, you know, founded in, what, 1976. Um, you know, Microsoft today is, you know, it really is a platform company, particularly with, with Azure. And Office, you know, Office is a, Office is a platform. So I think, you know, if, if you look at the history of, of, let's say, Microsoft, you know, Bill Gates really made some critically important strategic decisions. You know, he, he saw that, you know, well, we, we, what we now call Windows, back then it was uh, DOS, Microsoft MS-DOS Disk Operating System, that he saw DOS as a, as a platform um, upon which applications would be built. And, uh, you know, Microsoft was obviously the biggest developer of applications with its, with its suite, of, suite of programs, but others could build applications. And, and essentially, he gave it away for free. He gave, you know, when the first IBM appeared, it had it ran on DOS, Microsoft Disk Operating System. So everybody that had a Microsoft, everybody that had a, you know, a, a an IBM PC, also had MS DOS. Yeah. So Bill Bill Gates he he recognised the power of of platforms. It's interesting that notion of platform transcends the hardware and the software. So in the early era, the platform is the PC or the the PC architecture and the operating system. Well, if it, well, if the operating system was the was the the disk the disk operating system was the was the platform. Um, and and you know, and I suppose this is where when we look at the, the strategies of Apple versus Microsoft, you know, App Apple very much had a closed architecture. You know, it, it did have its own operating system, um, similar to DOS, but it was closed. Only Apple built applications for the Apple operating system or selected parties. Whereas, whereas with the Microsoft um, 
operating system, the Microsoft platform was, was open. Any, anybody could build applications that ran on the um, Microsoft DOS. And again, I'm sure none of you have ever seen or, or, or used DOS. It, it was kind of text-based. Um, and, and of course, my, you know, Microsoft saw what Apple were doing because Apple, you know, right from the, the, the Apple Macintosh, was, it was a graphical user interface. Um, and then they developed then the, 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 the first version of Windows, which is, I don't know, where we're at Windows 11, is it now? Like the Mac OS, so revisions for yeah, yeah. generational um, Gener yeah, exactly. versions of these yeah. operating systems. Yeah, yeah. So they've been around for a long, long time. Yeah. So that just sort of to link that through to the early 2000s, the sort of hardware and the OS as a platform presages the service as a platform now. And this is where you yeah, see well, these. Well, that's, yeah, exa exactly. So we've seen that, that, that evolve. So infrastructure as a platform, it's serverless, and then we've got um, platform as a service itself, the, the, and then we, 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 we have then the, obviously software as a service. And the growth of the Amazons, the... Well, yeah, well, you sort of see, so, you know, let's look at a company like Salesforce, you know, salesforce.com, which was, a, I suppose, the original software as a service, focused on Salesforce automation from the cloud, um, and then how that then evolved and they, they provided a platform uh, that, uh, you know, software companies could build applications. Um, just a thought occurred and it, you touched on it with these sort of transformational moments in the history of computing and digital. I watch out for them every five, seven, ten years. The smartphone was one of those moments. The, the smartphone, yeah, the smartphone was really, yeah, it, it, it really was. Because I think for the, 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 what, the couple of things the smartphone did... Um, was first of all, it brought the company, you know, into the consumer's pocket. You know, most of you, you know, you'll, you may go out at night, uh, you might forget your wallet, but you won't forget your, 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 your phone. You know, your phone will always be with you. So I think that that's, that's one of the things I think it did, you know, so suddenly now companies could reach directly to their customers. And then, you know, this, this is when we've begun to see also the capability uh, to where, where data could be sensed. In the sense that you know your smartphone is collecting you know tons of data that we don't even know about what's what's being collected about you, your movement, your location, um, you know right down to then you know what applications you're using, how you're using them, when you're using them, what are you buying, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so suddenly now data is is being automatically sensed. So that was so so that was part of the I think what what the, what the smartphone brought, and then you know that also coincided with the the Internet of Things, um, you know, it's uh, sensors uh, collecting data now um, that previously would be, you know, just impossible, let's say, to collect or, or unaccessible to, to companies and organizations. So uh, for this last decade, I've been looking out for these the next transformational moment, and you've touched on a couple of them there. IoT, which is definitely rolling out and is big, um, VR, AI, 3D printing, drones, sort of spatial technologies. And it's only recently that I think we have reached a new inflection point. Yeah, well, a lot of these technologies have been, I mean, I've, I mean, I've been working, let's say, in AI um, since the 80s. You know, we didn't, we, we called it artificial intelligence. Um, but the branch of AI that I worked in was called knowledge-based systems or expert systems. Now, we don't use the word or the phrase expert systems today, um, but these, these systems, were they expert? No, we would have used languages like the likes of Prolog and Lisp uh, to build, uh, you know, kind of knowledge, what we would have called at the time, knowledge-based systems. Um, so that ambition has always been there. Obviously, the computing capability was pretty, was pretty limited compared to where it is today, you know, even, again, even back then, we would have talked about neural nets. Um, so, so, you know, the, the, the quest for artificial intelligence is, is, is something that's been around probably since the dawn of, of, uh, of computing. So here's the last question before we go to the audience. Um, is there still a need for IT and digital to be a specialism because it seems to be so embedded in every other discipline? Um, a specialism, well, I think you're probably going to need, you know, technologists, you know, just, just think about, um, you know, AWS, for example, you know, getting, just getting that technology to work, 
you're going to need people with, you know, that, you know, deep, probably computer science technology expertise that may not need to know very much about the businesses uh, that, that you actually utilize that technology. So you absolutely you will need, I think, you know, people of that, of that, that, that ilk and, you know, people that are going to do the research for next generation technologies. Um, but I think your, your question maybe relates to companies. But, but, but I think it's becoming just expected now that, you know, if you work in, a, in an organization um, that you do have some digital skills, digital capability. Um, and again, you know, I, I often think about, you know, accounting. Um, again, in, in, in the mainframe era, in the era pre-PCs, pre-spreadsheets, if you were an accountant, a finance director, and you wanted a report, what did you do? Well, you went to the IT department and you asked them, you told them what you wanted, and then they would write that report for you, at least program the computer to produce that report. Um, so you can imagine how long that would take and how inefficient that was. And then, of course, when the PC appeared in spreadsheets, now as a finance director, well, you can do it. Yeah, so, so what we would have called, you know, IT work, suddenly now, well, actually, certainly the finance director is doing it. So is it not IT work anymore? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, writing, you know, write, write, writing macros, you know, any, any accountant out there, you know, today will be able to write, you know, very sophisticated macros, you know, pull together pivot tables. And, and now fast forward where we are with, with chat, uh, GBT. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the um, Microsoft Copilot. Have you seen Microsoft Copilot? With, 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 that works with Excel, for example, where you can now ask a question of a, of, a, of a spreadsheet. And it will actually now produce a spreadsheet for you. So you don't even need to know how to program with macros, for example. You actually don't need to know very much maybe about spreadsheets um, to get to get the, you know, the, the, the co-pilot uh, will, will, you know, once you pose the question, you know, essentially in the background, the technology does the work for you. Technology is very slippery and we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more, but we've got some questions from the audience. Yes. Hello, my name is Max. Um, you talked about that the most valuable companies in the past were platforms. Um, do you think that AI is just another form of a new platform um, like GPT or BART from Google? And if so, what implications arise from that? Can we see new firms will like new in industries will be disrupted through that? What is, what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, well, well, I, in terms of the, the dominance, it, lo it looks like at the moment because, um, well, I think, well, let, let, let's just look at basic platforms. There seems to be sort of a first mover advantage. Yeah, so if you get there first, unless you really screw up, um, you will be in a, you know, a, a dominant position. And, and, we, and we've seen that, you know, the, the example of a company that really screwed up was MySpace. So MySpace uh, predated Facebook. Um, but it did make some um, questionable, let's say, decisions. And, and I think that led then to the emergence of Facebook. Now, if you were going to compete against, directly against Facebook today, how would you do it? How would you supplant Facebook as, you know, as, as the, kind of a, the, the platform of choice for a lot of people? It's very, very difficult to do. And of course, the, 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 the more services that they add to the platform, so if they start adding payment services, for example, if you look at what happened in, in China with WeChat, you know, people live their lives through WeChat, that platform. So, you know, if, if, if um, Facebook goes down a similar path, it's, it's very, very difficult for a new entrant to come in. And we've seen some that have, that have you know, come in and, 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 and tried, um, but haven't been very successful. So I think that's the, I think the, the, so there is this kind of first mover advantage. I think if you look at what, what's happening in, in respect of, of, of AI, I mean, there are a small number of kind of dominant players at the moment. Um, you know, we, we've seen obviously with open AI, their, their, their dominant position because, you know, are you going to use multiple platforms as, as a user? Um, you're probably, you know, we talk about multi-homing and, and, and that, but you're probably, you're probably not. 
So if, if there is a kind of a dominant one, you will probably stick with that. So there is this, this I think, first the first mover advantage. Um, and I think this is probably why Microsoft made uh, an investment, quite a significant investment, because I think they recognize that they need to um, make a big move. I, I think if you look at, you know, search over the last 20 years or so, it's been dominated by Google. Um, you know, and who would have thought that something would come along that could challenge Google. Yeah, now we have some technology that's come along. And that's, I suppose that's what we've learned is that, you know, there possibly will be, you know, new technologies that will come along that can maybe challenge um, the dominant position of a, of, a, of, a, of a company. So is Google search a platform I don't know. Yeah, each of these technologies have the potential, and once they achieve platform status, to um, dominate, and, to, that, and to that's why yeah. obviously the EU is looking to looks to regulate platforms. So it's obviously got a, a much different approach than, let's say, uh, the approach taken in the in the US. Yeah. So regulation is always a, a lagging factor, I, I guess. Um, yeah. Governments catch up. Society catches up as. Yeah. yeah, we're always playing catch-up, at least in regulating an area. Look at social media. Yeah, but, you, but again, you could always make the counter-argument is that, you know, the success of Facebook, uh, you, could, you could argue, is due to the strategic decisions of Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he, you know it's, it's not like land. It's not like natural resources where... There's, you know, there's a limit, and um, you know, if you control all the the mines for you know certain minerals, well, then you're in a dominant position. Um, you know, um, when when Mark Zuckerberg started off, I mean, that that what what he was trying to do was was open to everybody else. He just made smart, strategic decisions. In the same way, I would argue that in the in the early '80s, Bill Gates made very, very smart decisions in respect of Microsoft and particularly around the disk operating system. Very, very smart decisions, whereas there were other competing operating systems, but the software companies that owned them were charging. So they said, no, we're not going to give them away for free. We're going to, if you want to um, use our operating system, you're going to have to pay us. That was their view. Bill Gates said, well, I'm going to give it for free. So I, I so so I think it's yeah, so we can have that kind of counter argument as well that actually these companies are successful. Um, yes, there's all the network effects and that, but but it's because of sound strategic. Yeah, and we should give them the space to create these new zones of action, yeah. which they do. Yeah, and but I suppose in 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 respect of personal data, I think that this is where then uh, it's 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 the use of our misuse of personal data, which which kind of becomes the issue. So another question at the back. Yeah, hi. My name is Sunil, and my question is uh, related to AI. So, do you think uh, like AI will dominate IT industry in next couple of years? And uh, what do you think? Uh, what are the consequences for uh, you know including AI in the professional work? Well, I think yeah. I mean, if I understand you correctly, I mean it's it's like technology has always been used to augment. I think it will augment um, you know human endeavor. You know, so you've got your finance director, you know, who kind of needs to do some analysis and spreadsheets have been a great augmenter or provide the capability. To, um, and, and now with the co-pilot, um, you know, maybe that might provide additional um, capability. But you can sort of see, you know, and, and I know law firms and accounting firms in particular in the service side that I mean, are uh, running pilots, experimenting with, with, with ChatGPT. Um, so, so, for example, to do tax returns, you know, we know that, you know, ChatGPT can, you know, do 85% of somebody's tax returns. So that's, you know, that's a quite a significant um, enhancement, let's say, of, of, uh, of human productivity. Um, so maybe you might be, again, able to put this capability on top of your chart of accounts, for example, and, and you know, it might tell you something about potentially where there might be fraud in your organization. 
Yeah, that, that, that as a, let's say, as a finance director, you, you may not be, you may not have visibility. You may not be able to see, but maybe, you know, through patterns, whatever, that, you know, maybe the technology may be able to signal potential fraud in, in the same way that, you know, the tax authority here, uh, for example, you know, employs, uh, you know, data scientists and analysts to look at, you know, for, you know, various signatures um, that might signal something about, let's say, a, a taxpayer's tax returns, for example. So I think I think so. I think it will it definitely will 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 enhance, and we're we're seeing that already. Um, and even in our in our line of work, um, I think in the future it'll be probably unusual to set uh, students an essay, uh, you know, as part of an assignment. You know, that's that's not probably how we're going to assess students in, in, in the future. Probably probably a lot of people have stopped doing it anyway because, you know, if you could always Google and you could always find maybe from some of these websites anyway uh, answers. So, yeah, you know, whereas, whereas when there's no internet, when everything is sort of, you know, pen and paper, depending on going to the library and doing your own personal research, that was probably, you know, an effective way to assess somebody's capability and, and, and their learning. Crumbs, this class's uh, main, main assessment is a, a research paper. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, not, it's, not, it's not, you know, if people do it honestly, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, but, you know, it's, it's a great way. But then you sort of say, well, actually, if the tools are there, why shouldn't they be used? So that if the tool is there, why, why shouldn't it be used as well? You know, so the tool is there. So, yeah, so, we, so maybe we'll be looking for a lot more from the from let's say from the essay uh, critique um, and 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 the like, which maybe uh, at the moment uh, the technology might struggle. Uh, no, I think uh, you are absolutely right. Uh, like uh, AI will enhance you know productivity in in academic or in uh, industry. But uh, what do you think? Like, is it a negative impact on the long term learning? Well, I don't. I don't think it'd be a negative. Um, as I said, you know, if it's if it's if it's um, if we recognise it's 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 a tool that's there. In the same way, we've all we've recognised for the last many years that the internet is a tool that that people use, and we we always advise to be careful of the sources. You know, we we you know that's part of. So I think we 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 develop similar. Um, advice in respect of you know some of the new technologies that are, that are coming about. So so we will yeah. But we might we might also like I know myself um, when I assess students typically now. Well, it's something I've always done anyway. Is is you know often have the assessment based on a case study. So it does demand some critique and analysis. Hi, I'm Yatin. So uh, in last semester we had a module where we studied about like. Exploration and exploitation, right? So, I mean, considering the power of AI, and I mean, I, I consider ChatGPT to be like extremely powerful, which is also open source. Uh, that means anyone can use it and develop it their own. So, I mean, what are your comments that that AI could be used for exploitation more rather than exploration, uh, as in to conduct maybe cyber attacks or like, should we take a step back maybe uh, and just analyze everything that are we heading towards the right, uh, the right direction or like, what are, like what's your take on this? I, well, I don't think we can step back. Uh, I think, we, you know, we, we, we've got to go with, uh, with progress. Um, and as the, these tools, the capabilities develop, I, I think sometimes maybe we might need to think about the, the, the kind of the regulator sort of stepping in, um, but I, I, I'm very much for innovation, you know, both on, as you said, on the exploration and on exploitation side. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's with all technology, it can be used for, for good and for evil. Yeah, and I think the, uh, the advice for the uh, exploration, exploitation was meant to be uh, economic advice as opposed to the sort of good versus evil, because we should exploit our innovations once they're discovered. Yeah, when we have you know, the internet, you know, just, I mean, that's been a, a, a game changer, but also then we have the dark web, you know what I mean? So, 
you, you, you're always going to have, and then you'll always have nefarious forces, uh, criminality and, and the like, you know, trying to take advantage of the, you know, the, 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 uh, the technology. So that, I think that's, that, that's, that's always going to be there. We just got to, we just got to live with that. Uh, my name is Leo. Um, and the question I want to ask is because the technology advancement is more possible to have like global economy, global collaboration. And I want to ask, is there still any limitation of like global cooperation? Like if I said offshoring in Australia, Europe or US, like different time zones. So is, would there still be any limitation with like using the virtual cooperation? Is there any, sorry, um, the, the question is, is there still any benefit for having a globally distributed workforce or outsourcing to yeah, providers yeah. around the world? Yeah. Oh, well, I think COVID, I know with, you know, a lot of companies that had depended on um, vendors, for IT vendors that were based in, particularly in India, suffered during COVID because, um, you know, when the workers went home and had to work from home, you know, from their home, their own homes, they didn't have the technology connectivity the capability and and you know there's lots and lots of stories of where companies you know really struggled uh to provide services to, to clients because the national infrastructure wasn't national, up to scratch national infrastructure yeah it wasn't wasn't up to scratch yeah 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 so does does that does that does that side of the uh of of, of the coin uh, i mean i think if we look historically you know at why companies outsourced um one of the, a couple of reasons. One was well, technology was not seen as core. Yeah, it wasn't seen as not. It's not. We're we're a bank, you know, or we're an insurance company. Uh, we're you know, in the public sector, we're not we're not a tech company. We'll get IBM or HP or Wipro or somebody else to to run our IT for us. That was the the logic. But guess what? You know, today technology, you know, is is up front and central. You know, even as a public sector, your citizens expect to engage in a digital way. Uh, you know, so the services are being digitized as well, and, and employees work with data, and, and you know, digital is part of the fabric of the organization. So, so we've seen, I think, you know, and again, we could spend a long time having a discussion around, you know, outsourcing, insourcing uh, today, and, and 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 the logic of you know making sourcing decisions, uh, particularly when technology is now, you know, really core to you know, to most organizations' business. Whereas, you know, we, we, we talked, and we still talk about IT providing a competitive advantage, tech, and technology does, and data and digital. Um, but today, technology is a, is a competitive necessity. You just can't opt out. You cannot say, oh, well, we're not going to, we're, you know, this technology thing, we're not going to, we're not going to provide our customers with a mobile channel. Guess what? We won't have any customers. Yeah, so... It's 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 a it's a competitive necessity. Hi, I'm Julian. Um, you said we shouldn't take a step back in terms of AI and technology, and you just said it's a necessity to use, obviously as well. Um, do you think? Well, I, I, yeah, okay. I don't know. But I, I, what I what I said, technology is a is a is a competitive necessity. You, right. You, every every company, the expectation is on your 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 customers, your your business partners, the broader ecosystem. That you know, yeah, there will be technology engagement um my question is do you think regulations are necessary in terms of using ai for example in the workplace maybe even when we talk about government right eu uh, regulation regulations maybe is that something we we need um i i think it's i mean i i think it's i often wonder in in, in some uh, some areas i think absolutely i think in terms of use of of, of personal data you know, how it can be used for, let's say, um, nefarious purposes. Uh, I think, yeah, I think there's def, def, when it's used for those purposes, and we saw that with Cambridge Analytica, I think in, in those instances, yeah, I mean, there, there definitely needs to be some sort of regulation about personal, about personal data. Um, and, and, and again, you know, with personal data, you know, it is personal, we own it. Um, and, and, and therefore, you know, we should have cer certain rights over that data. So I think there may be some regulation ar around that. But there may be other aspects that maybe 
particularly in the European context, maybe European regulation is maybe a bit too, bit too heavy-handed. But, uh, but I mean, coming back to your question about AI, yeah, I, I think that you know, regulation in, in terms of um, you know, dealing with biases maybe, for, for, for example, or you know, um, uh, providing information on the, the actual algorithms that are used, you know, may, maybe you know, something that mandates maybe uh, that that is, 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 is opened up, that we kind of see how the data is used. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think there is, to come back to your question, I think there is a case we can make, and I, and I, and I would agree in certain areas, but I think there are other areas maybe where the regulator can be a bit, you know, heavy-handed. So if we do have regulations and we, we will use, let's say, AI in the workplace as well, what do you think uh, is a good approach for companies, for example, to maybe even provide some sort of... Um, learning for their employees to use AI on the workplace? Is that something a company needs to do as well? Or do you think they should just let their employees go ahead and use AI? I, know, I, th I, think, I think some sort of education is probably necessary. In, in the same way we've seen companies educate employees around uh, personal data. You know, and, and obviously GDPR was a big, a big driver there because now companies and, and boards of directors have you know, responsibilities in respect of, you know, the personal data of employees and also the, 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 the kind of the, the data in relation to customers and how that, how that data is used, who has access to it and, and, and the like as well. So, so and, and, and companies do uh, provide education and training in, in respect of that. I think when it comes to AI, I think, first of all, it's probably some education about what the capabilities are, so employees can start thinking about how might we use the capabilities. And, and then it's, it's a, I suppose it's, you know, what we often talk about responsible AI. So using the, the kind of the technology in a, in a, in a, in a responsible, in a responsible way. And, and, you know, I, you know, we, we, we also talk about explainable AI so that you can explain how the technology is, uh, is used. So we know, for example, um, as part of the online interviewing process at a lot of companies, when you're being interviewed online, there's a, you know, an AI engine in the background. Um, but, well, potentially, potentially and possibly there's an AI engine in the background that's looking at your facial expressions and analyzing them in response to the responses to questions that you're um, asked during the interview. So trying to pick up, are you actually telling the truth, the whole truth? Um, yeah. So you may not be aware of that. So it's, it's you know, the, 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 you know, the assessment um, of, you know, let's say your performance in the interview is judged both by the interviewer or interviewers as well as you know, maybe an AI engine, you know, contradicting, maybe the interviewer is thinking, wow, this guy, we really liked him, he, you know, all the right answers, he'd be, he'd be good, he'd be a good addition to our team. Uh, the AI engine in the background might say he was lying through his teeth. Right, okay. I actually think it's probably um, a good moment to start to wrap up. I think what we have done today is touched on the core canon of digital industry, of technological evolution, um, of economic transformation and societal change. And maybe we should come back to this conversation again. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The music used is Voltaic Fluctuations by Ben Prunty and used with his permission. 